And now for this morning's scripture reading, hear the word of God from Isaiah 1, 6 and 7, as well as Matthew 1. Isaiah 1, 1 to 2. These are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and care for have rebelled against me. Now to Isaiah 6. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Yes, go and say to this people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor will they hear with their ears, or understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, How long will this go on? And he replied, Until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Isaiah 7, starting with verse 10. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven, or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? 
Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and wrong, he will eat yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Then the Lord will bring things on you, your nation and your family, unlike anything since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria upon you. Now to Matthew 1, 17 through 25, the account of the birth of Jesus. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Waypoint Church. I am Danny, one of the pastors here, and I have never given a sermon from my living room, and this is my first one. As you can see, we are here in front of our fireplace. You can see some of the Christmas stockings, and uh, these are, you know, crazy times, and we're trusting God with each Sunday. We are so thankful that most of the time the live stream has been able to be in our sanctuary, and we can have the full band for this morning. We are recording, uh, each person is recording in different segments uh, in their homes, and this is, we're just thankful for this technology. If you're wondering what the fuzzball here is, that's the top of the mic. And if you're wondering what some of the stuff here is up on our TV, I wanted on our mantle, I wanted to show you that. So the first thing, this is a nativity set we bring out every year. This is from China, and it actually has the Isaiah passage from Isaiah 9 as a prophecy about Jesus uh, in Chinese. So we love that, uh, that Chinese nativity set. Here is one made of clay that we got in Honduras. It actually broke a little bit in the suitcase, but we... Uh, Glued, glued most of it back, but this is really special to us from 
when I was a youth pastor, when Erica and I were first married, we went there and did VBS and built a home for a widow there. And these are some cards we save and look at every year. These are the cards from some of the children in the village that, uh, that we serve. And then this is just a traditional American nativity set that was given to us as a gift from family. And we love to display these around our house. And for those of you guys who love Charlie Brown Christmas, which if you've never seen it, I recommend all of you watching it. It's just a great, uh, just a great cartoon and it has a really awesome message. And we have uh, Charlie Brown as Joseph. We have Lucy as Mary. We have Snoopy represents all the animals in the play. Woodstock is in the manger, and the the main star of the actual Charlie Brown Christmas is, is Linus the shepherd when Charlie Brown says, what's the true meaning of Christmas? And Linus reads the passage from Luke, and then they, they sing Hark the Herald, angels sing at the end. It's, it's, it's really cool. I, I love it. My kids love it. And uh, so these are this is just, while you're here in our home, I'd like to just wanted to show you a few things. But getting back to the sermon, the sermon is titled Emmanuel, God with us. And we're looking at Isaiah 1 through 8 and Matthew 1. Many of you are like, oh, no, Danny's got a lot of scripture. This is going to be really long. It, it's not. I'm just giving a basic overview and want to trust God with this time. Um, if we start with the first question, I'm going to answer five questions this morning. The first one is, what is Advent? Advent, Advent means the Advent or the coming. Uh, God promised that he would come to bring salvation to his people at just the right time he came, and he's coming back to make all things right and new. That's a saying I came up with when I was in children's ministry, just a summary of Advent. I'll put that up here. It says, God promised he would come to bring salvation to his people at just the right time he came, and he's coming back to make all things right and new. So that's my brief summary of Advent. We're gonna talk about it over the next few weeks. You might have some questions, why are the candles Maybe not the candle that James and Sylvester lit, but why are lit? But why are the candles uh, purple and pink? We'll talk about that next week. Um, so why are we studying Isaiah and Matthew together as a church? And we're starting in Advent, and we're going to study this all the way past Easter. And we're studying them together because they fit together. Uh, Isaiah was written about 600 years before Christ, and even up to 700 years before Christ was when Isaiah was was around and he was during this period of uh, in the 7th century BC where he was prophesying about the Messiah and uh, Isaiah this is a great quote from uh, Old Testament scholar David Jackman he says about Isaiah Isaiah the theme of Isaiah is that God will rescue and renew a faithful obedient people for himself out of the ashes of Israel's failures and exiles and exile through the coming of his servant king, the Messiah. So Matthew's about the coming of the servant king, the Messiah, who we know is Jesus, and Isaiah is pointing us to that. Uh, Matthew is the good news proclaimed in Isaiah, and uh, Jesus is this good news, and Jesus is the Messiah. So why we're studying to them together, it's very waypoint of us. We love the Old Testament. We love the Gospels. We, we wanted to do this in one... In, in, in just a joint way, are we going to be able to cover every part of it? No, but we're also studying Luke uh, in a little while, and we've just studied. We've already studied Mark, and we've already studied John. So we're we're going to cover all the Gospels. We won't be able to cover every story in Matthew or every part of Isaiah, but we want to cover the the major themes of all of them. 
And I love how Isaiah talks about, it it literally says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, the gospel. And Matthew ends with Jesus telling us to bring the good news to all the nations. So we're going to see how this all fits together and that Jesus is the Messiah, the hope, the suffering servant, all the, the light that we're looking for, the perfect Israelite, the one who's going to fulfill all things and be our savior is the one that Isaiah points to. Uh, some people like to call Isaiah the fifth gospel because it really is preparing the way for the Lord. So, yeah, so Matthew is the good news proclaimed in Isaiah. So what is the book of Isaiah about? Um, if you only remember two words as we study Isaiah, just remember the words judgment and hope. Um, and let me get my slide up. Having some computer problems. All right. Judgment and hope, and particularly hope for the present that a remnant would return after the exile and hope in the Messiah, the future coming king. So, so Isaiah is a prophet and ancient prophets were called to stand before normally the king, sometimes some of the people, sometimes the priest, but normally the king and say, are you following what God gave us in the covenant with Moses? Or are you turning from this? That's the point of the prophet. And he's to warn the king and then to warn the people If you don't listen to God, these things will happen. The prophecies don't have to come true. They don't have to come to fruition if people turn back to God. But as we know from Israel's history, they continually rebelled and eventually they came true. What prophecies, what are we talking about? Well, in the covenant that God makes with uh, the Israelites in the desert and as they enter into the promised land, at the end of uh, this time and at the end of what we call the Pentateuch or the law, uh, God renews the covenant with his people. And at the end of Deuteronomy, there's this blessing for obedience. It says, if you fulfill, if you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord, your God will set you high above the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord, your God. And wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed and the Lord will conquer your enemies. And this is what happens with David um, and Solomon, but then the kingdom gets divided and they start becoming corrupt. And then this slowly the enemies start attacking them. And by the time Isaiah gets on the scene, it's pretty bad. They're already divided into two kingdoms. The Northern kingdom has had no good kings and they're literally on the brink of being conquered and they've lost God's favor. The Southern kingdoms have a good king every once in a while. And Isaiah and the other prophets are there to say, turn to God. Uh, and this, what they're basically doing is saying, renew, renew, go back to the covenant that God gave us in Deuteronomy, the covenant that God gave us with Moses. At the end of this in Deuteronomy, there's not the end, but at this section in chapter 28, um, let me get it up here. There's curses for disobedience. And, um, As you see, it says, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. This is why Moses is often called the first prophet, because he was the first person who God gave this this idea that trust me and I will bless you. But if you don't, I'm going to have to let these things happen because I can't put up with the injustice. I can't put up with the sin. I cannot 
be a God who's holy if my people are not holy. And you're going to end up paying the consequences. And Isaiah, this is what's happening in Isaiah. Isaiah is warning them about rebellion, about their sexual sin, their idolatry, their injustice. Basically, they're taking matters into their own hands and they're doing exactly what the pagan nations that they were delivering from did. They're doing the things that Sodom and Gomorrah did. They're doing the things that the Egyptians did. They are literally just as bad as the nations that God saved them from and all the nations that God's protecting them from. So that's that's kind of the backdrop of Isaiah. And, and there's a powerful passage in Isaiah 1. It says, When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. This is in Isaiah 1 when God's this is the first pronouncement of judgment. It says, wash yourselves and be clean. Get at, get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. So you see how there's this judgment, but then there's also this hope and this, this command to follow them. And, uh, you know, at the end of this section, he continues on and he says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. You see that there's judgment, but there's hope. There's there's this, right even in Isaiah 1, in the midst of the initial judgment, he's saying that I can make your sins white as snow. Where That sounds familiar for us as Christians. We know how that ultimately happens in Christ. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. So even in the judgment, even the pronunciation of judgment in these prophecies, God is saying, turn to me. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. Um, so you see how Isaiah starts off. It starts off with God uh, basically reaffirming what was in Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29, 30. And in Deuteronomy 30, he, he says the same thing Isaiah is doing. So he, why am I talking about Deuteronomy and Isaiah? Some of you are like, what is all this? Well, we just studied the Pentateuch. But what the prophets are is, is the kingdom that God told Abraham and then got Moses and Joshua and they get into the land. When they finally got this kingdom, God's an- they, their prayer was answered. They were came out of slavery and they, be, they came from not a people, an enslaved people, to a people and a great nation. And, but they had to trust God and they had to make God their king and God their warrior and God the one who fought their battles. But they continually rebelled against God. And they, and God even told them that this would happen in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, he says that when you do this, these nations will come and they will conquer you. And in that time, uh, but then he even promises that he'll bring them out of exile. So all the way back in the beginning, when God, when Moses is, God gave Moses the law and he's giving him Deuteronomy, what we call Deuteronomy, we still see the promise that he's going to bring them back, that God will always be faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham, to the covenant he made with the people in Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20, and to the covenants. He's going to be faithful to those covenants, whether the people break them or not. And we ultimately know that he's fully faithful in them through Christ. Christ becomes the perfect Israelite. Christ becomes the perfect sacrifice. Christ becomes the perfect priest, the perfect king the perfect prophet that we need. And ultimately he comes back and reigns and, and we see the fulfillment of all of this. So that's why I'm trying to tie um, Deuteronomy 
with Exodus because you see all that, I mean, with Isaiah, because all that Isaiah is doing is just saying, go back to God. Now, the three things that Isaiah reminds them of is, is the covenants that God made. The first covenant I want you to, to, to notice as we think about Isaiah is that God makes a covenant with, with, through Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to David that there would be this future king forever from the line of David. And uh, it says in 1 Samuel seven sixteen, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. And we all, t- and this is what Isaiah, this is one of the things that Isaiah keeps pointing to in the hope, even though he has to bring the judgment because of their sinfulness and rebellion. And we know this is, this king is Jesus. Ultimately, we fulfilled in Jesus. The second covenant that Isaiah continually reminds them of is, is that they, they one day will be able to be obedient to the covenant at Sinai. We know that ultimately is fulfilled in Christ too. And the third thing is they will finally be able to be the blessing to the nation that God promised to Abraham when he calls him in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3 says this. It says, uh, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And Isaiah is, is trying to show them, he gives them this messianic hope mixed in with the judgment, saying that this will ultimately happen in this David-like figure, and, and just, but right now, even though the Assyrians are knocking at the door, even though you're drowning in your sin, you're drowning in your rebellion, turn to God because this is our hope. And, and Isaiah keeps pointing to that. And when we think about Matthew, Matthew starts off with the promise of, of Matthew, I mean, of Jesus. And it talks, goes back to Abraham and gets us to Jesus. And then it ends with the Great Commission. How is the, all the nations going to be blessed? Through the new grafted in, pieces of Israel, the church, who are us, who get to go to the nations, and, and we get to be a part of fulfilling this. Really cool stuff. Um, if we think about Isaiah chapter 1, uh, so I want you to remember, rebellion, remember judgment, hope, judgment, hope, judgment, hope. That's what Isaiah is about, but it's more about the hope. But it's like he's like, God's going to send the judgment because you guys are bad news. You are You are violating his law over and over again, and God is a holy and just God. So if you look at Isaiah 1, it, Isaiah just proclaims they're just, they're, they're this rebellious nation and they deserve judgment and judgment's coming. But if you notice, that's the passage I read earlier. It even has the scarlet, you know, whitest snow. Uh, even There's even hope in the first proclamation of judgment in Isaiah. Chapter 2 is about the mountain of the Lord. So even after the judgment, he talks about this new Jerusalem, this new city. So we get the hope right away. He doesn't waste any time. He wants to give them a vision of the beauty of God, of what we can look forward to. And even us today, as the new grafted in Israel, the new people of God, the church under the new covenant, we're still looking forward to this hope. This is what we're celebrating at Advent. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. And, but then after the mountain of the Lord, he talks about the day of the Lord. So he talks about judgment. And then in chapter 3, it's judgment on Judah and Israel. So if we're playing the hope judgment game, what category do you think this one's in? Ding, ding, ding. Judgment. Yes, you were right. Chapter 4, the branch of the Lord. It's This is hope from judgment using the tree analogy. Chapter 5, another prophecy of the coming 
judgment. And then chapter 6 is Isaiah's commission and the prophecy of judgment that God asks him to deliver. And, and I had James read this passage earlier just because I wanted us to hear it. This is a really important passage. And as we're thinking about Isaiah, so God calls Isaiah and even forgives, talks about forgiveness of sins. When I, and I can't, I can't go into all that, but it's, it's this amazing vision of God's holiness. But Isaiah can stand in his presence. And I think that's a foreshadowing of, of when Jesus comes and Peter, James, and John, they can stand in, the, in God's presence. Jesus is fully God. He's fully God, fully man, and they can be in his presence. And I think that this Isaiah commissioning is also a foreshadowing of, of, of Jesus is going to come and, and, and God is with us. And God, and God is, Isaiah could even have a conversation with the Holy God. And, and God gives him this, this prophecy of judgment that he has to deliver. He has to warn the people that this is going to happen because they are, they are turning and rebelling against me. And uh, at the end of that section in Isaiah six thirteen, it says this. This is God speaking to, to Isaiah on behalf of the, the prophecy to the people. And he says, And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be laid waste. But just as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down. So he, God is saying, I'm going to cut down the Israelite, the tree, all the way to the, the stump. It's going to be nothing. I am, I am going to allow these foreign armies to invade them and cut them down to nothing because of their rebellion, because of their continual sin. I've been patient and patient and patient with them, but I'm going to let this happen. So the holy seed will be a stump and land. So there's this holy seed and the rest of the book of Isaiah is talking about this holy seed. What is the holy seed? It's the branch from the root of Jesse. It's Jesus. It's we, we know that this holy seed that God, this, that God is preserving, that's going to come out of this, these descendants of Abraham from the line of David is Jesus. And the rest of the book of Isaiah is preparing us for that. And Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So who is Emmanuel? And there are three children born that it references their birth in this section where Isaiah, when the child is born, that Isaiah is told to give them a specific name or they're told to get a specific name. And one of those is this reference that we read in Isaiah 7 where King Ahaz, that a son will be born, not necessarily to King Ahaz, but a son will be born and the son to this young maiden, this virgin, and his name will be Emmanuel, which most people wouldn't name their kid Emmanuel because that means God with us. Uh, so we don't know exactly the details, but I'm going to read this summary from one Old Testament scholar. Uh, he says this, the reader is simply not given information regarding the identity of the maiden or how precisely the sign, the sign functions in relation to the giving of the name of Emmanuel. What is known with certainty is that God gave Ahaz a sign in the form of a woman conceiving a son and naming him Emmanuel. The sign was to demonstrate that God was with his people and with the line of David and his word would be kept in spite of their unbelief. Now, we this wouldn't be that big of a prophecy except for the fact that it's linked to Jesus and Matthew links it directly to Jesus. So it becomes kind of a primary prophecy for us as followers of Jesus, because Matthew ties the two together. 
And now what about the maiden being called a virgin and, and the vital Christian doctrine of the virgin birth? And we can't, we're not going to talk about that this morning. We did talk about that in our previous sermon series on the Apostles' Creed and that the virgin birth is vital to our faith. And, and, and the gospel authors recognize that and the church has acknowledged that. Um, but this passage is about the virgin birth and it clearly proclaims that there is a virgin birth. But that's not the only thing that Matthew is emphasizing here. And how this ties together with Isaiah, I, I want to really highlight. So as far as the virgin birth, it's a core Christian doctrine. We truly believe that, that Jesus, was, Mary was a virgin, that God, um, that God, by the Holy Spirit, implanted, uh, her, impregnated her so that she could have Jesus. That's a, a vital Christian doctrine. Whether the person, the word exactly means virgin in, um, Isaiah scholars argue that, but we know as Christians that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary and he lived the perfect life. And that's part of our doctrine. And if you have questions about this or other things, we always have, we're going to have another waypoint. Uh, what's the point podcast where you can ask questions, but this is a core doctrine and, and Matthew's affirming it, but he's also wants us to see a few other things in this section other than just that. Um, and this is from New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. He says this, and I, I love this. It says, Matthew also wants to tell us about who Jesus was and is in the time-honored Jewish fashion by his special names. So he gives them the two names. Now, if you notice in the Old Testament, multiple people have multiple names. It's not uncommon. Um, the name Jesus was a popular boy's name at the time, being in Hebrew the same as the word Joshua. He was brought to who brought the Israelites to the promised land after the death of Moses. Matthew sees Jesus as the one who will now complete what the law of Moses pointed to, but could not itself produce. He will rescue his people, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery in sin, the exile that they have suffered, not just in Babylon, but the exile in our own hearts and lives, the true rebellion against God. Uh, by contrast, the name Emmanuel, which is also mentioned in Isaiah 7, 14 and 8, 8, was not given to anyone else. It, it wasn't a name that they gave to Jewish boys like Joshua. Uh, perhaps it would say more about the child than it would, than no one would normally dare. Just, you just wouldn't name your child that. It means God with us. So no Jewish person would name their child that. But, G but Matthew is saying that Jesus is God with us. Matthew's whole gospel is framed by this theme. At the very end, Jesus promises that he will be with his people uh, to the close of the age. This is the Great Commission. He says, and I will be with you to the end of the age, um, you know, in Matthew 28, 20. The two names together express the meaning of the story. God is present with his people. He doesn't intervene from a distance, but is always active, sometimes in most unexpected ways. And God's actions are aimed at rescuing people from a helpless plight, demanding that he take the initiative to do things people have regarded as inconceivable. And that's the God who's with them. This is the God and this is the Jesus who the story Matthew will now set before us. This is the God and this is the Jesus who comes to us still today when human poss possibilities have run out offering new and startling ways forward in fulfillment of his promises by his powerful grace and love, end of quote. I love that quote. That's why I, 
I wanted us to see. So Jesus is Emmanuel. He has the name Joshua, Jesus, and he is the Emmanuel. And Matthew wants to see these two themes come together in Jesus and show us that he is the Emmanuel. So how do we live in this present future hope, knowing that God is with us? And I've done a lot of teaching this morning. I was even going to give an example and I forgot, you know, and I just realized that even my screen, I was on edit mode. That's why I was having a tough time uh, even moving the slides along. So I'm, I'm done with that. But, you know, y'all this morning might be like, Danny's just given us a lot of scripture. He's shown us just how basically a little bit about the Isaiah passage, a little bit about Emmanuel, how God is with us. But what does this mean for me today? And I want to give you one image is one time my uh, neighbor, I don't, we were kind of in this neighbor squall. I, I didn't care, but this neighbor was really gung ho and kind of frustrated about something. I didn't even know they were frustrated. And they called the city out and said that our, our bushes, our hedges were too, were too high. And uh, so I got this citation and I was like, how did this happen? And the city was like, well, one of your neighbors reported it. And I remember thinking, just being frustrated. I just went out there with like the chainsaw or the saw and just cut, I cut the hedge down to nothing. And I, and then I was like, oh no, I killed it. Like I didn't, I have a black thumb, I kill stuff. I, I don't have a green thumb. And I was so mad, and, but I was so mad at them. And then I was mad at myself. I was like, oh, now I've got this dead tree. Literally in three months, the thing started coming back. I had no idea trees did this. Within two years, it was just as full and even fuller than before. And I, and I think that that's how God works. And that's why he says, I'm going to cut this stump down, but I'm going to grow. And it's going to be just go almost go back to a seed. That's the language that God uses in, I, in Isaiah 6. And this seed, this new seed is going to grow into this great tree. And we're part of that. So this morning, I want us to think about Emmanuel and I want us to think about God with us and, and this promise that goes back to Abraham and that, that goes back to Moses and the people that even goes back to the garden and, and the failure of Adam and Eve and the, and the faithfulness of God and, and God's covenant faithfulness through all of this. And then, and that God is with us. So what's the action point for this morning? The action point is how do we live in, in thinking about the, answering this question? How do we live in a present future hope? knowing God is with us. And I say present future hope because that's what Advent's about. And that's what we need to have. We need to have a hope right now, but, but we have a future hope too. And, the, and the, they're tied together because knowing that our future is secure makes us more hopeful now, but we need to have hope now too. And, and how can knowing that God is with us give us hope now? And I, and I like to give an action points at the end of my sermon. And, and this week I was sitting I, I saw Eric across the room. We we're, you know, trying to social distance and he was across the room and both wearing our mask. And, and uh, Eric says, he just says, starts reading Isaiah 8. And he's like, listen to this, listen to this. And I was like, I had the same thought. So for this morning, for our action point, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 8 and let God, the commands that God gives Isaiah to give to the people so that they can put their hope in Christ. So let's let that be our hope. Um, Isaiah 8, I'm going to jump toward the end of the passage. Um, it says, therefore, the Lord will overwhelm them with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River. So this is the judgment part. The king of Assyria and all his glory, this flood will overflow its channels. So Isaiah is telling him that one day the Assyrians will come. And what, ha what was said could happen if you didn't obey God in Deuteronomy you know, 28 is going to happen. Uh, and, and they'll sweep into Judah 
and until it's chin deep and spread its wings, submerging the land from one other, one end to the other. And then it says this, O Emmanuel. I mean, the word Emmanuel is only used like four times in the Bible, three times in Isaiah and the time in Matthew. Um, o Emmanuel. Kind of almost in like irony, like, God, are, are you with us? Because these other people are destroying us. And then it says this. This is a, more about the judgment. It says, huddle together, you nations, and be terrified. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Yes, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Wow, that's devastating. God's telling them, you know, they have no hope. And I think sometimes we feel like that. We feel like we have no hope. And then he says, call your counsels on war, but they will be worthless. Develop strategies, but they will not succeed, for God is with us. He says, Emmanuel, again. So, Obviously, God's not mocking them. He's just trying to show them that God is even in the, their demise because he's doing something greater. He's allowing these things to happen because of their rebellion, but, but, he, but they, they couldn't do it on their own. They needed this Messiah. And in all this, it's getting us to this Messiah. And this is what he tells them. I love this. He says... Um, the Lord has given me a strong, strong warning not to think like everyone else does, he says. And this is the Lord speaking. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Let's not call everything a conspiracy. Let's not think that everything is out to get us. Let's be a people who trust God, that God is working even in the background. Then Isaiah through God, through Isaiah says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. And the Lord of heaven's armies is also a term sometimes called the Lord of hosts, the Lord almighty. And it's saying like, don't trust in the systems and the structures of the, of these things around you more than you trust in God. Make the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the universe, the God in control of everything, holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. Again, the judgment, because they've, he's saying like, when you disobey me, I've got to execute judgment. I got to do things to turn you back to me. He will be a trap and a snare for many, many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. Preserve, but you see the judgment, but then he goes back to the hope. He says, preserve the teaching of the Lord and trust his instructions to those who follow me. And that's, this is my cry for us today. Let's always go back to the hope that's found in the Lord. These are really, really difficult times. Our hope is in the Lord. Then Isaiah goes on this message from the Lord. He says, I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. So even in the judgment, even in Isaiah's like, God, it seems like God has turned away or we know that God has turned away. I will still wait for him. And I love this. Isaiah says, I put my hope in him. I put, I will put my hope in him. And that's my challenge for all of us. Let's be people who put our hope in him. I'll be honest, the last few days, and the whole pandemic has crushed me. I, I've built my inner, 
the international student ministry that God allowed me to be a part of building at Duke was built around gatherings of about 10 to 20 new international students to make them feel welcome and loved. Can't do that anymore. Everything we've done at Waypoint for the last couple of years has been building around community and gatherings and small groups, all these things, and we can't do most of them. Uh, you know, I'm crushed. Everything I've worked for just to be part of building God's kingdom, all these things. Then I just look out and know that people are suffering. Kids are, are struggling. There's just people are losing their jobs. Uh, you know, people are dying. I'm crushed. I know you guys are sick of this. We want it to be over. And, and, but what we're experiencing now with the pandemic is something that some of our other brothers and sisters around the world experience all the time. But no matter what, whether times are good or times are hard, let's make this our cry. I will put my hope in him. We will wait for him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the message of Isaiah 1 through 8 and from Matthew. And I pray that like Mary and Joseph, we won't be afraid. To, and like the people, like Isaiah, that wait, who are waiting on the Lord, like those like who saw Jesus, like Anna and Simeon, they saw Jesus and they, they, they were waiting on this Messiah, God. And, and I pray that we won't be afraid and we'll be people who wait and we'll be people who remember that you are here. The Messiah is here and we can put our hope in you because Emmanuel, God is with us. God, may we remember that our hope is in you because you are with us. This is the promise. This is the good news. This is what saves us. This is what sustains us. And this is what one day we will stand in your presence and be your holy people on the holy city as Isaiah proclaims. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.